Well, hello there, and thank you for tuning in to the Shameless Sex Podcast. I'm Amy, sex educator, somatic sex and relationship coach, and sex shop owner. And I'm April, VP of an international high-end pleasure product company and boss queen sex toy mogul. We're best friends who make our own rules about who we are as sexual beings. With everything from how to be a badass in the bedroom, to pussy praising, to top tips for bringing your relationship to the next level, we have something just for you. So sit back, relax, and and enjoy enjoy the show. Don't forget to head on over to our website at shamelesssex.com for more. Hello, everyone. Welcome to episode number 16. And this is, well, every episode is special, I guess. But this is an extra special episode. Uh, April is not here today, and that's not why it's special. We miss April. We love her. Uh, She is currently in San Diego with her partner on some sort of adventures. And so I am here with two wonderful guests uh, who I will introduce in a second. And we are um, going to cover the topic of uh, sex ed for teens. And not just teens, I'm sure we'll go all over the place. Um, so the kind of the current state of sex education for the youth. Uh, and this is specifically inspired by a workshop that we have coming up. Uh, It's called Let's Talk About Sex, and it's at Luma Yoga Studio here in Santa Cruz, uh, September 30th and October 7th. It's a two-day workshop. It's from 2 to 6 each day. And this is specifically geared towards um, parents and their middle schoolers. So I think we're calling middle schoolers like 11 to 13-year-olds or so. And we'll get deeper into why this is important, uh, but stay tuned if you would like to learn more. And this is uh, something that applies to anyone doesn't isn't have to just be for parents um, because if you're listening to this you probably had sex ed at some point and you probably didn't have the most wonderful sex ed because most people did not so uh, there will be some really interesting points here on what's happening in the current state of sex ed in our country around the world um, how we can change that and you know what we're doing with a specific workshop and then how we can change that from um, our work here and beyond. And before we dive in, I'll introduce Gina first because I'm actually have Gina step in for a second and uh, kind of clarify something that I realized that gives some false information on in a past podcast, uh, re- specifically regarding we were talking about um, non hormonal birth control methods, uh, the rhythm method or um, fertility awareness method. And in this podcast with April, I think it was on podcast 14, I stated that you needed to have a regular cycle for it to work and otherwise it wouldn't work. Um, And I realized that that is inaccurate information. I was actually referring to just specifically a calendar method, like just marking your calendar and saying, I know I ovulate on this day and I bleed on this day. And so I'm not going to have unprotected sex on these days. Um, That uh, to me, some regularity was important if you were just doing the calendar. And... um, the fertility awareness method is something that I know a lot of people are uh, practicing. There's a wonderful podcast on it that I think April even mentioned. And um, I have Gina here because Gina is has a master's in human sexuality. She's actually currently teaching human sexuality at our local community college here. So um, she kind of knows what's up. <laughs> and she's done a lot of other work. Yeah, there's a little bit. She's done a lot of other work in the field, but... Um, uh, so, Gina, um, can you tell us, we kind of talked about this a little before in our little session here, but um, what you know about fertility awareness, and you were you had some key points of like how how it could really work for people and some things to consider. Sure, Amy. Um, well, <laughs> but let me start off by just saying thank you so much for having both Valerie and I on today. Um, it's a real honor Woo! to get to be We'll intro Valerie in a moment. Yes. <laughs> yes, we'll get to Valerie very soon. Um, save the best for last. Um, so what I can tell you about fertility awareness method um, is that it's, it's a method that can be highly effective if users are diligent and consistent with um, tracking not only their menses, so their menstrual cycle, uh, when they actually menstruate, Um, but also checking on a daily basis, which I think you probably talked about before, the cervical mucus, and then also their basal body temperature, which is 
your temperature in the morning before you wake up, before you, before you get out of bed, excuse me, after you wake up. Like first <laughs> thing, right when test. you wake yes. up, you have to right check you your temperature. Um, before you get out of bed and you have to use a slightly more sensitive thermometer. And so um, that can help you track when you ovulate. So to the point that I think one of your listeners made that a person who has a less regular cycle can still use fertility awareness method. Um, that is true. We count in the medical world and kind of health education world, we count menses from first day of bleeding. That's like the first day of the cycle, even though depending on how you look at the cycle, that could be considered the last phase of the cycle, but we consider it the first day. And so the majority of variety actually happens in the last half of the cycle, which is from ovulation until the day that the next menses begins. And usually the variability then happens between when menses begins and the next ovulation. And so if um, people that are trying to use fertility awareness method um, just know that that's where their variability comes if they have irregular menses, and they're more careful to um, use protection, as in a condom or abstaining from just that one sex act that can make babies, vaginal intercourse. You can do all the other fun stuff. Lots of fun stuff to do, people. It can be a really successful method. So that's the long and the short of it. And there are a lot of great apps um, oh, yeah, the Kin- yeah, Kindara is an app. I, mm-hmm. I actually did use that for a little bit, um, and I, I, right after I got the IUD out. But the only thing about getting the IUD out is your cervical fluid is adjusting to getting this copper thing that out that's been living in there for so long. So to do the cervical fluid measurements, there was no... It was always kind of pretty consistently doing its thing because the IUD was affecting it. So that's another thing. And I think you had mentioned, too, um, like latex condoms can affect cervical fluid. And there's there's various things to consider yeah. in there. So, yeah, but there's a lot of yeah, – Kindara was a really great app to use. And there's a lot of other great podcasts and information on fertility awareness. So one does not have to be on hormones to have a good – um, fertility slash birth control method. And, you know, fertility awareness applies to people who are trying to get pregnant or not trying to get pregnant. So, yeah. And in addition to that, in terms of non-hormonal methods, I mean, there's still the copper IUD. And then remember that the IUDs that have progesterone in them, it's more localized. It's not entering the bloodstream as happens when someone uses something like the implant that goes into the arm or takes a hormonal method of birth control via the mouth, like birth control pills. So there is a little bit less effect on the body's system when a person is using an IUD with progesterone only in it than another method of birth control. But there's also still the diaphragm and there's an upgraded cap now called the FemCap. Um, So those are other methods that people can try. They're not as talked about as much, especially when we're doing education with teens because we're promoting those long-acting reversible methods like the implant and the well, IUD yeah. mostly. And then, and then there's also the fact that it's only working for pregnancy and not STIs too. Those. Yes, yeah. there mm-hmm. is that. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yes. Thanks, okay. Gina. You're okay. Welcome. So everyone, woo, that was our uh, brief moment brought to you by Amy and Gina. Um, so we'll do a little introduction. Um, oh, first of all, I'll give a little shout out to Pure Pleasure. I never, pro- I mean, I talk about Pure Pleasure and then this is on our website as well. Um, but y'all, all you listeners, you all get a discount of 15% off for being our fans. So if you are interested in any of the products that we talk about, I don't know if we're going to talk about sex toys in this one because we don't usually talk about sex toys to teens. But <laughs> but any of the past episodes, um, if Although you just... we could. We could, yeah. I know. It's because it's a private event, so why not? Um, but if you go to our website, purepleasureshop.com, and you use coupon code SHAMELESSPP, it's all capitalized, so SHAMELESSPP in all caps, uh, you get 15% off of all purchases. So just a little shout out to that. And that's my little plug. And here we go. So, um, okay. So that's Gina. There's more to Gina. So Gina and I have worked together for a number of years um, through, we've been putting on pleasure parties together. She's done some work at Pure Pleasure. Um, you are now teaching human sexuality at our local community college and you have a master's in human sexuality. You also work for... What is it? EMDR. Yeah, EMDR. Nobody that I know that works outside the field can remember the acronym. So it's ETR, Education, Training, and Research, which is a local nonprofit based in Scotts Valley that does health education. Okay. And you also have teenagers, which is great for this. (laughs) You're a mother with teenagers. I 
am. Another reason why that you're great for this topic is because yes, this is Gina. Gina has a lot of a lot of good information to share. So you're really excited to have you here, and we've actually. Um, taught this same workshop previously at Luma, and it went really well uh, last winter. And so this will be our second offering, which brings me to Valerie. So Valerie is um, one of the owners. Woo, Valerie! One of the owners of Luma Yoga Studio. And Luma, tell us a little bit about Luma, because it's different than your average yoga studio. We are a little bit different. Thank you <laughs> yeah. for asking. Um, hi, it's nice to be here. And I feel a little intimidated um, by you two extraordinary women as oh. I sit here and listen Don't to you Don't be scared. Chat. Anyway. <laughs> We're just humans. I'm extra goofy, so whatever. <laughs> Um, uh, Luma is a community center. I've always described it as a community center disguised as a yoga and, and holistic center. So, um, we opened welcoming families, including young children into our yoga program and our wellness program. And, um, and anyone who, uh, knows that in order to access wellness, they have some um, sort of tag-along little people with them, perhaps. Um, but since we've opened, uh, the community has found us, and we found ourselves serving more people of all kinds of different ages and demographics. Um, we have a strong adult yoga program and wellness program, and uh, we have a teacher training, and we have um, a children's teacher training, and we have a MELT program. And so we, we're kind of all over the map. And uh, our mission is to um, enable wellness for everyone of all ages. <laughs> yeah, that's, yeah, that's, yeah, because you have, I mean, you even have yoga for teens, like yoga for teens, mm -hmm. yoga for kids. And then this workshop that we're doing is something that you, was actually your idea originally. That's right. So uh, I have an adolescent child, she's 11, and I started to, uh, become aware of the fact that she was going to be being introduced to some sex education in her public school. And at the same time, I uh, was given a copy of Peggy Orenstein's new book, uh, Girls and Sex, and was a little appalled that I was not more uh, aware of what was coming ahead of me in the coming years in terms of being a mother of a young person. And I uh, started to think about her... Um, process. I have two daughters, their process of becoming young women, and that it was time to get a little proactive about getting more educated about it. And I started to look around for uh, progressive um, classes and uh, sex ed classes for my girls and realized that there was nothing in our area. There are other progressive classes in other areas, um, but in our area, I could not find anything. So... Yeah, I have a center and yeah. classes like, I'll can do happen it. there. Yeah. <laughs> so I'll do it myself. Well, and you already have access there too because you are a yoga studio that's offering yoga that is you know, catering to all ages. And so a lot of other yoga studios are kind of more like your 18 and up crowd. But you already have offerings too. You know, and you have, you, don't you have like daycare for parents too? When parents are doing their yoga, then they can have their kids in the daycare there. And That's right. Yeah. Kids, kids and parents. The center is designed so that families can be in the center at the same time. So uh, kids can be either in an er another enrichment class or in childcare while parents are accessing their wellness, whether it's a massage or class. And so we have parents with children of all ages engaged in the center, and we want to serve those families with parenting classes, birthing classes, and now sex, sex ed classes. Yeah, <laughs> now, and in this case, parents come to the class with their kids. So this is, yeah, so this is a little, a little different. Um, and it was, it, was, it was funny. I just want to comment on the first thing. So when we first did this workshop, we, you know, we created the flyers. We did the whole write-up. The write-up says, you know, for the most part, it doesn't say, it just says it's for parents and their middle schoolers. We had about 10 parent and kid duos sign up, all women and their daughters. And, and so we asked, you know, Gina and I we were like, why? Where's all? Where's all the men at? Where's all the dads? And and there's and boys. Yeah, like what? And they they were like, well, we thought it was said just for for women. We didn't say we didn't say that anywhere. So there's already a thing right there. Is that these conversations? It's assumed that should just be between mothers and daughters, and not between mothers and sons, or fathers and daughters, or you know whatever. It's there's something missing dialogue there. And Gina, I'm sure you have more to say about. <laughs> 
I mean, you're a mother with sons, so you have that conversation all the time. <laughs> right. Um, well, I think part of it is, even though we didn't um, explicitly say in any of our promotional mater- materials, and it, and it is not the case that this class is only for female-identified mothers and children, um, we're females, and um, I think that perhaps in order to bring males into these conversations, maybe they want to see male facilitators and not seeing that makes them feel like it's only for females. But it's not. It's actually, it's open for anyone, as you say. Um, But Amy, correct me if I'm wrong, um, is it not also the case that the majority of the time that you have classes at Pure Pleasure, you tend to see a higher percentage of your participants who are female? Yeah, definitely more female-identified folks coming through. Especially, it's it's funny, although I did have a recent class that kind of... Um, didn't support this uh, my this this theory, but um, a lot of my like how to please your man workshops they you know it sells out all the time. It's like full of women, maybe two men coming in there. Usually they're coming to, to learn with their partner or just kind of take a workshop for fun. And then it's when I have my how to please your woman workshop, which is open to anyone, even if you have a vulva, that's open to you too, for you too. It's like it's it's just different. You don't get like this overflow of of. And it, you know, and it's not to say like plenty, there are vulva admirers that are not male identified too. But there's just some, there's a big distinction there. It's like there's more, I guess, safety or acceptance for uh, female identified folks to go and explore their sexuality or to like dis- admit that there's room to learn and grow. And then for a lot of male identified folks, it's, it seems like there's a little more of the stigma, a little more of like I sh- I should know this. You know, I should be born knowing everything. <laughs> Definitely. Which is so harmful Definitely. and not true at all. And true. So think of, you know, when it comes to kids and teens, you already have maybe dads that have that perspective. And then they're raising, you know, kids, raising sons who with a, with a similar message of, you know, we don't need to have this conversation. You know, you don't. Whereas the, the daughters and then there's also the protectiveness with the with young, young women, I think. They get more of that protectiveness in general because because they're you know the girls need to be protected, my protect my little princess, and you know so there's just there's this big distinction there between what's happening, right? Mm-hmm. And and I think the other um, factor in terms of our workshop is um, I, I think that it, in general it is still the case that males develop at a different rate than most females, and so. Whereas because females like are beginning to have menses and because we do feel this need to protect them and they're a little more advanced in some ways socially at a younger age than boys, they start having those conversations or asking questions earlier. And I do wonder if we had a workshop that was designed, say, for high school students, if we might get more mothers and sons or fathers and sons because around that time is when I think more boys are starting to um, at least start those conversations with their parents or... Uh, the parents are noticing that there's a need. And so I think it has to do with development a little bit too, that we're serving middle schoolers and guys get involved in the conversation a little bit later. And then, as you say, I think it's true that there's this, well, in general, in our country, I think that there is a very simple conversation that tends to happen around sex. And so because the sex ed in our schools tends to focus on like preventing unwanted pregnancy and all the bad things, all the bad things, things. right? Um, the conversation can really get oversimplified. And so maybe a dad thinks that it's enough to just give his son some condoms and say, use these well, son. And that's the talk, right? Good luck to you, sir. Good luck. (laughs) Which is not great. But, um, you know, I think that parents aren't necessarily themselves equipped to have the deeper conversations with their young people. Or that the kids want to have that conversation with their parents. That might be a conversation that's more comfortable to have with other adults. Mm. Oh, yeah, who are not your parents. Yeah. Yeah. But I wanted to speak to what you were saying about women being interested in these workshops that you lead and being kind of the the prime clientele or motivator or driver uh, um, uh, because it occurred to me that I wonder if girls get given the lesson of how to prevent unwanted pregnancy and then um, how to avoid... uh, um, STDs, you called them STIs. STIs, sexually transmitted infections. Infections. Yeah, but yeah, either. I'm, yeah. I, see, I'm I'm in I'm in the old language. You guys are in the current language. Yeah. Anyway, I wonder if what happens is when women become sexually uh, active, young women, 
there's a little bit of like, hey, wait a minute. I thought this was supposed to be really great. Mm-hmm. And actually, maybe um, there's a little bit of disappointment as women if they haven't been exposed to um, how the, the whole process works and that, that they can expect pleasure mm-hmm. and that consent is a part of the conversation, that then um, when they become sexually active, I wonder if they have disappointing experiences sometimes. And then in the demographic, the age demographic you were describing, they are sort of taking back their their experience and wanting to become more knowledgeable and more educated about their own bodies, uh, it's just a question that is on my mind. And one of the things that I want my daughter to be exposed to is the possibility that as she enters this part of her life that it's there for her enjoyment and and that it's also safe. Well, the enjoyment piece, so that's what what kind of makes our workshop stands apart from what people are doing in schools or most other workshops is the pleasure piece is missing. They're, they're, you know, in public schools, you can't really talk about pleasure. Planned Parenthood can't even talk about pleasure. They have to talk about, like, they have to kind of dodge around it as much as possible. Maybe they can, like, dabble in it here and there, but it's pretty limited. So young people aren't getting the messages that, but pleasure, you know, pleasure is your birthright that you, you know, like, you know, you have the clitoris is just designed for pleasure. That's all it does. And so that this, like you were saying, this is here for you for your pleasure when you're ready for it. And there's all these other important factors in terms of consent, um, you know, respect and like, you know, respecting your body and another body and, and communication skills and a lot of other factors that come into play. But the pleasure piece is it's like that elephant in the room, right? So it's just like, don't talk about that one because maybe it'll make all the kids go out and have sex. You know, if we say that it's there's actually good things in here, maybe they'll all do it. Well, they're all doing it anyways. And so what's happening, at least in my experience, you know, I didn't get conversations around pleasure. I, I did know that pleasure was a thing, but... I believe that, you know, our our media and the messages that we're getting are about male sexual pleasure. It's very penis-centric. Not a lot about female sexual pleasure. And there's a lot of already, like, people kind of cringing when they hear the word vagina. Ooh, you know, it's it's like... But it, there's just already this, this stigma around it. So where are young people learning about sexual pleasure other than the media? So if they're just learning from the media, it's about penises and penis pleasure, very little about female sexual pleasure and it's not happening in schools. So it's just trial and error. And so, yeah, there are a lot of young people who are hearing about sex. Oh, that sounds fun. I hear it feels good. I don't really know much about it. And, and then they're just diving in trial and error and it's, why not give them the tools and the information beforehand? And they're still going to have a lot of air, even with the information. And we can give them information beforehand to prepare them so they can go about it in a way that is even more respect for their body and for other bodies. And um, maybe, and also I think one of our key, key pieces of our workshop too, we're not just talking about pleasure, we're talking about all kinds of things, but it's really helping parents to become the allies of their kids as opposed to the enemy and that was, I mean, that's a key thing that was really important to you, right. Gina. With, and you have experience doing that, too. Yeah. Well, and I think that we just, um, I think that because that we lack precedent around having these kinds of conversations with our young people, um, and there are not a lot of um, young or adults uh, who are parents who maybe feel comfortable starting those conversations, let alone teenagers who are comfortable having those conversations with parents, it's just difficult to find a way that's comfortable for everyone to talk about pleasure, let alone everything else that's involved, you know, in being a sexual being in the world, right? So yeah, I mean, this is, I think, what we're what we're offering to the community, um, and what I think we heard reflected back to us, Amy, from parents who took our workshop in the fall, is that it really is a conversation starter, and that's what we intended for it to be. We, there's no way you can cover in eight hours um, all of the things that you could talk about with your young person around sexuality, because there's just so much these days for them to kind of unpack and to be familiar with and to understand. But we hope to at least give, to provide a space for parents and teens to come together to start having these conversations and then give them some of the tools to have those conversations and give them a little bit of content to start talking about. Um, because as we all know, the conversation about sex is not ever, it shouldn't be one conversation. It should be multiple conversations and not just about sex, but boundaries and, you know, self knowledge and pleasure and, 
um, masturbation. preventing what, what you don't want. Right. <laughs> masturbation, getting to know your own body before you share it with someone else. With, yeah. Without it being a sinful, shameful thing. Yeah, exactly. Um, so, and it is true just to, to speak to what you said, Amy, about pleasure not being talked about in schools. Like, I wish probably more than a lot of people or as much as some of the more progressive people that we could have those conversations in school. Um, but then if I am to be completely objective and I think that my value system should be promoted in schools, then I have to be open for other value systems to be promoted in schools. And I'm not a com- proponent of value systems being promoted in schools when it comes to sexuality because there are still a lot of people in our country who hold values around sexuality that I would not want put on my children in a public school setting where I'm paying my tax dollars to support. And they have every right to not want my value system put on their children in schools. And even but though isn't I your think value that system pleasure, better than it, theirs? It is, <laughs> but they don't know that yet. <laughs> okay, um, we won't, we'll, so they'll we find out at some point. The conversations focused on facts in schools, which is why then we need this type of workshop outside of schools to take the conversation further where parents do get to come in and talk about their values mm-hmm. with their young people. And we can support them in talking about their values Quick aside, there were pro-life people on Cabrillo's campus last week, and I tried not to engage, but of course I did. (laughs) And, um, you know, they really, the thing is, I don't even like to, I don't want to buy into their um, framing of their message and call it pro-life, because I don't think that that's what it is, but they call themselves Project Truth. And they're really focused on a moralistic approach to sexuality and reproduction and teaching people the right way to be a sexual being in the world, like living in God's way. And this idea that we, that it's somehow okay for us to promote uh, our values and push other people to ascribe to our values as a way to teach about sexuality is very er erroneous in my perspective. Education really should be, at least public education really should be focused on facts and information, not values. Um, and that's a really difficult thing because sexuality is so value-laden and it's really difficult for all of us to separate our values from facts and information. So anyway, that's just to say I think the public schools aren't really the forum for values. <laughs> our workshop is. Yeah. yeah. I wanted to say I didn't know what uh, was being taught in public schools around sexuality because it's been so long since I took my sixth grade health class. Would you speak a little bit to what's going on in our community? Because I was surprised about it, Gina, when I found out how limited the information my daughter would get was. Sure, I'm happy to do that, and I'll try to keep it brief. Um, fortunately, we live in a fairly progressive state when it comes to policy around sex ed in schools. And so last year... Um, the California Healthy Schools Act was introduced and passed, and this legislation means that now every single public school in the state of California, middle school and high school, is required to offer comprehensive sexuality education to all students and make it inclusive for all students, and including, when I say inclusive, I'm not just talking about LGBTQ youth, I'm talking about um, students who have differences in learning, um, differences in language, differences in abilities, um, limitations based on uh, limitations around the different senses. So this, uh, this California Healthy Youth Act lays out a number of requirements that schools are legally required now to provide information on. Um, it has to be medically accurate. It has to be unbiased. It's not, there should not ever be religious doctrine. That was already part of previous Ed Code policy. Um, It has to talk about HIV and STIs and birth control methods. It also does have to talk about abstinence as being one way to prevent pregnancy and and sexually transmitted infections and HIV. Um, But it also must talk about orientation. It has to talk about uh, gender identity, sex trafficking. Um, Consent is not explicitly listed out as one of the requirements, but is something that is is often included and... um, because there is legal requirement in the state of California for colleges and all institutions of secondary education or um, higher education that receive public funding in California to have an affirmative consent standard in their sexual assault policies, now we're starting those conversations with younger students um, in the public schools around consent. So there's a great list of requirements that um, schools are required to offer 
to students um, once in middle school and once in high school. So they have to get this information not once, but twice. Now, everyone's ramping up around that, and all of the school districts are taking their time, but the ACLU is actually a huge proponent of this, and so the ACLU is kind of becoming like the community you know, policing or monitoring agency that is making sure that school districts are complying with the law. Um, where that education is still limited is that there isn't a requirement that everybody that is doing sex ed in schools has quality training around doing that sex ed in schools. And so more and more it is the case that schools are looking to, you know, Planned Parenthood to come in and provide this or outside agencies to come in and provide this. But sometimes it's still going to be the health teachers and the physical education teachers. Yeah, I was going to say, that in like in your your typical gym teacher, in like in the movies, you have your gym teacher teaching your PE class or your, sorry, your sex ed class. Right. And, and they're all awkward, and, which is, right. I'm, sure, I'm sure there's wonderful gym teachers or physical education teachers yes. that can teach sex ed. And that's just like what you see in the movies. And kids are like, mm, and they're all bored. And there actually are a lot of great teachers in Santa Cruz who have been doing this work with our students for a long time, and they are great. And I don't want to undercut them at all because I have been involved in having those conversations with teachers with my own sons um, at their schools. And so I know that there are a lot of committed, um, well-trained, open-minded, progressive uh, teachers who are doing this work in the schools and doing it fairly well, I think, from what I've seen. What I can encourage parents to do is know about the California Healthy Youth Act. All you have to do is go into Google and type that in. You're going to get documents or go to the ACLU website and type it in. You'll see documents. And I encourage you to go directly to your children's middle schools and high schools and ask to see the curriculum and then have a dialogue with the teacher. And you can actually get the materials. That is another legal requirement. The schools have to provide parents um, with the curriculum that they're teaching. Maybe not every single piece of paper, but they if you asked for it, they should give it to you. So you can see what's being taught, and it is progressive. So to, to that, if your child's in sixth grade, they're getting a little bit of information, and then in seventh grade, they should get a little more, and in eighth grade, probably a little bit more. Um, and then you now in high school, they have to also have sex ed content again. So there is a lot that's happening, and like I say, this is California-specific. So every state is different. Every school district is a little bit different in terms of how they're going to handle this requirement, but they are all at least required to meet this, meet this minimum benchmark. But sexual response cycle and pleasure uh, are two content areas that are not included in the California Healthy Youth Act. So um, that piece is still left out. Um, anyway, so that's that's what I know about what's actually happening. And then there's... Definitely federal funding streams that affect um, how uh, funding is delivered to different states to do sex ed in their schools. And every state has different requirements, and some states do accept that abstinence-only education funding, but they can only use that in schools if they don't have an education code in their schools that um, that don't limit the abstinence-only education. So. Yeah, blah, blah, blah. I could talk about that for days. I'm not going to. That's enough. Parents, get engaged. Ask for the information. Inform yourselves about what's happening in your child's school. Yeah. Yeah, and yeah, I, I think the part of what we're talking about, too, in our workshop, too, is, like, not just leaving it to the school district to do it for you. Like, right. this is something that's really important to ha- for it to happen at home. And for um, parents, they have the ability to be their closest ally. And maybe there is some information that kids aren't always going to want to hear from their parents or share with their parents. And these conversations are never going to be super easy and squeaky clean and fun, right? Like, it's a hard conversation. It's almost always going to be challenging and... um and that's just a part of it. So you can either, you know, dodge right. it and just hope for the best that they ha- happen to get a really great uh, teacher who t- gives them all the information but leaves out pleasure, or you can, you know, learn more yourself or or side by side with, um, with your child with your teen, so that um, you can be that ally for them. And it's yeah, it's. I wish I had that. I mean, my mom was my mom was definitely letting me know that she was there for me in regards to when I wanted to get on birth control at a young age. You know, before I was sexually active, she said, you know, when you're ready to get on birth control, you can just come to me. And I knew it was safe and that there wasn't shame around sex. And she didn't talk to me about pleasure. And I really wish I had learned more about that because I probably would have had um, a lot more pleasurable sexual experiences than I had as opposed to kind of like not knowing that I was worthy of the pleasure that I kind of knew was there, but kind of not. So, 
Great point. Yeah. I had a point that I wanted to ask you, Valerie. Oh, oh, girls and or is it girls and sex is the book, right? Girls and sex. Um, what in that was really alarming to you in terms of what's happening with girl, uh, young, with younger girls or teenage girls and sexuality these days? There's good, kind of some red flags in there for people. Good question. Right? Yeah. I think the thing that stood out to me the most was how much things have changed since. Uh, I, I'm, I'm 44, about to turn 45 since I became sexually active in terms of the kinds of information that's available to kids through the internet. Pornography. Pornography. So uh, my, the, the alarm bell that went off for me was that the, uh, assuming my daughter chooses to have sex with men, that the education that young boys are getting about sex uh, may, I'm not, I'm generalizing, but may come primarily from their experience with porn. And so as a mother of a daughter, I would rather that uh, she went into her sexual experiences um, knowing that there are a lot of falsehoods portrayed through porn and um, with different expectations and that the partners that she chooses to be with hopefully have some kind of education also that porn doesn't necessarily, although it can, portray things in a realistic way, uh, especially for the woman and where her pleasure is concerned. So um, that was one alarm bell. The second alarm bell that went off for me um, in, in reading that book was um, realizing how young children are becoming engaged in sexual activities now and um, certain activities that when I was a kid I think I didn't even know about that are sort of the norm now. <laughs> But I didn't even learn about until I was older. <laughs> All the jobs. Yeah, the jobs. Oh, yeah, anal at a young yeah. age too, right? Yeah. Yeah, and, um, you know, I don't think this is happening in all communities necessarily, but, yeah, there are a lot of extreme practices that are happening that girls are choosing in order to preserve their virginity, and anyone who's sexually active knows that m most of those activities are in, can be more intimate than um, the, the regular old missionary-style sex oh, situation. Yeah, we're, we're talking anal, also a lot more susceptibility to STIs and... Yeah. Don't even get me started on porn and anal. Oh, God. <laughs> That's the worst. Worst educator. Yeah. Do you have something you want to add in there? You look like you had a... Yeah, just that I think that a lot of young people do. Like, one of the, the, one of the other drawbacks to us not being comfortable with talking about pleasure with young people, um, like in schools, is that they want that information. They're not getting it. And so they do go to porn or mm. just generally Google sexually yeah. explicit media, right? Because the... Porn has now be kind of become ubiquitous, and a lot of the messaging and their comfort and the um, with it, and not necessarily our comfort with it, but the fact that it's become so commonplace, is that it's also bleeding into other types of media. Mm -hmm. So a lot of um, just marketing that you're seeing or that kids see, our children see, uh, on social media or in clothing ads, in music, in videos, on TV, has all been influenced a little bit by pornography because it is so pervasive and it's not only unhealthy for girls to be in ex like relationships with boys who've gotten most of their information about sex from porn it's really not healthy for the boys either mm -hmm. because they're taught that the one thing that matters is um their penis and what they can do with it inside of another person's orifices and that's a really limiting view on sexuality as well for a lot of male identified people or people with penises right and that you know sexuality is so much more expansive than that and so it is unfortunate that this is where young people are looking and it's here to stay and so again like plugging the workshop uh, the one thing that we as parents can do to um, mitigate the effects of pornography on our young children is to be able to have conversations with them, to know that they're potentially being exposed to it and to be equipped to have conversations just to let them know our value system and that, you know, porn can be a fine thing to consume and there can be great porn out there, but they're probably not going to come across it on their little iPhones. They're not going to know how to get to the good porn. They're going to see the stuff that's really not the best for them to be seeing at the age that they're at. Um, and and I do think it's true that there are young people that are getting involved at younger and younger ages sexually. However, I do think that there's also a trend of a lot of adolescents actually waiting until much later to become sexual with other people. And in fact, if you look at the data on this, um, the data supports, at least nationally, that this generation is actually waiting longer. So even though they're more bombarded with sexual images at a young age and maybe engaging things like um, oral sex... As a, on a whole, they're actually not 
more sexually active than previous generations were. And I think that that's partly because our education has gotten a bit better and we've started talking to young people a little bit differently about sex um, and about their boundaries and rights and all of that. But clearly there's a great amount of diversity across the country, across the state, uh, from community to community around what young people are doing. But um, we should normalize, too, as parents, that not all young people are having sex. Like That's a really important norm that we work on in our sex ed with, with kids in schools is to remember that it is not true that all of your friends are having sex and you're the only one who hasn't mm-hmm. if you happen to not have had it yet. Yeah. Um, I think when we taught our workshop, la- the last one was really interesting because it was 11 to 13-year-olds, and you'll, we, there would be you know one young, young teen who... Um, it was very clear that they you know, either had friends that were having sex or something. The information wasn't feeling new to them. And another, ki- another young teen who was like, who actually said, I'm never doing that, <laughs> you know, was so far from it. And they were the exact same age. And, so the, and this is really interesting because I'm, you know, I'm personally used to teaching workshops to people who are 18 and up where I can say whatever I want to. And most of them are, I mean, they're not on the exact same level currently, but they've kind of already been all over the place or they're at least very aware at this, at this, their age. And with young people, it's just a whole different way of, of teaching and there you just you just never never know what they're showing up with and what the experience is like and but it's not to say that that one young person who said I'm never doing that one other girl actually looked at her and she's like yes you will or <laughs> something she's just like uh-huh yeah uh-huh. just you wait and see and yeah and it was it was just kind of funny just to to watch the dynamic and I still think that getting the information to her years before she was ready even considering you know right now she's like i'm never going to have sex i'm never going to have a boyfriend girlfriend partner whatever like why would anyone do that was where she's coming from getting her that information now so that when she actually or if she does do those things she's prepared she knows about pleasure she knows about consent she knows about you know self-pleasure and that you know it all starts with her and her understanding her own body and then she can in turn connect with with another in in a consensual way and about communication skills and um, your gender diversity, all kinds of topics that, like, why the F not? Why aren't we doing that before? Just It's it's so important. If the school is addressing it and the parents are addressing it, then the, the ice is broken. It's a, it's a thing, and it gives space for the young person to um, come into a place of inquiry and know that there are resources out there. So it's important. It's important just to have the conversation, like you guys were talking about in offering the class, breaking that ice. And 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 even if the child is uncomfortable or the parent is uncomfortable, the conversation is 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 there and it's present. And we know it's an important thing. And then the the young person goes forward with their own intelligence. Um, regardless of if they remember anything from the class, they know that the inquiry is something that they can have and that it's an important thing in our culture to explore. Yeah, and in regards to shame, which is kind of the premise of this podcast, the Shameless Sex Podcast, um, by as parents or as educators, modeling that these conversations are okay to have. Yeah, and you know, parents can out it too. Hey, child, this is really uncomfortable for me, and this is a really important conversation. Um, is now a good time to talk to you about the, not the birds and the bees, we're not something we're going to call it, but, you know, traditionally that's what they refer to it as. And, you know, outing the awkward and then and outing the fact that, you know, it's a shared awkward, guaranteed your child's going to be a little uncomfortable too. But all of a sudden, because you took that initiative and that bravery to model that this is okay, this is normal, this is healthy, this is safe, um, and you know, they can in turn kind of create that shame free slash lower amount of shame in terms of the way they move forward and talk about sex. So it's just, yeah, like you're saying, you know, cracking the ice and then inspiring and modeling that these conversations are okay to have. And in fact, are important to have. Great point. And to that, I want to say, Amy, um, the whole idea that, that parents do often feel like they have to be the experts. Well, fortunately we're living in the middle of the information age. And so actually that's, it's not the case anymore. The parents just need to know where to get resources. And so fortunately, if you're a parent who doesn't have a lot of information or doesn't feel like you're an expert and can't have these conversations, there are tools out there. And just quickly, can I put a plug in for a couple of great resources? Yeah, for yeah I was parents? just going to ask you for that. Yeah. Because I know that not all of the listeners um, on your, of your podcast are in the Santa Cruz area and have access to our workshop, but they do have access to the internet and they have access to books. Um, and so... 
There's a great website called scarletine.com. So scarlet and teen all together with just one T in between them. .com is a great uh, resource online for young people and their parents around sexuality. And the reason that I love this one, there are some other really great sites out there. Planned Parenthood actually has a great um, site that talks a lot about sexuality and sex and relationships and all of that. But Scarletine's super sex positive and will go to the explicit things of talking about anatomy and pleasure and consent and negotiation and identity and all of this stuff in a very open, inclusive still youth-friendly, developmentally appropriate, um, and very sex-positive manner. And so that's a great place for parents to go just to see, like to get some of that language and some of the terms that are being used now, right, and to kind of understand how to have some of those conversations with their kids. And it can be something that they can point their children to. They can read an article together and then have a conversation. Um, There are a couple of also great books that I want to mention for, you know, like, tweens and early teens and their parents. One is called For Goodness Sex, and it's by Al Vernacchio, who is this fabulous educator that's on the East Coast in the Philadelphia area. Um, For Goodness Sex, uh, and the subtitle is Changing the Way We Talk to Teens About Sex, I think. Don't quote me on that, but Al Vernacchio. And then um, there's another great guide by Heather Corina, who is one of the key writers on scarletine.com. And her book is S-E-X. So I say it that way because she's got, it looks like initials, like S period E period X period. The All You Need to Know Sexuality Guide to Get You Through Your Teens and Twenties. And this is actually the textbook that I'm using in my course at Cabrillo. And it's, again, a great tool for a parent to give to a young teenager or teenager in their lives or just to use themselves to get the information that they might need to start having those conversations with their young people. Um, and then for par- people always ask me, like, what do you think parents should be talking about if they've got younger kids in terms of sex and sexuality? And I say, start with consent. Start with thinking about how you allow your child to consent to certain things in their lives from a very young age and how you intervene in their relationships with their peers around consent and start teaching consent from a young age because this is more, it's always been important, but I think it's becoming more and more of a conversation and it's one of the first places that we can start to teach our young people about their boundaries. And I don't just mean that from like a, again, preventing the negative things that can happen with sex, that being assault um, or any other type of abuse that is sexually related that can happen to young people or older people. I'm not saying it just from that perspective of preventing that problem, but when you start to have conversations about consent in general, not sexual consent, but in general, and then make it more specific to sexuality when, teen, when young people get older, you open the door for them to understand how to say no to something that they don't want and also for them to say yes to something that they do want. And if you start to have those conversations as a parent with your younger child about things like Negotiating what they wear to school, negotiating what they eat for lunch, negotiating what activities they want to get involved in or what friends they want to have over, then you start to normalize for them that they have a level of agency in their own lives to make certain decisions at an age-appropriate like level, right? And then when you start to have those conversations about sexual consent, it just makes sense to, sense to them. You get to say no to whatever you don't want to have happen to your body. You also get to say yes to what does feel really good to your body. And so that conversation becomes more normal if we start it with our kids when they're younger. So just a few tips for parents who are looking for other resources out there besides the workshop um, or besides other conversations that they're already having with their young people. And then for those of you that are in Santa Cruz or close to Santa Cruz, because it is a two-day thing, um, the workshop, again, it's called Let's, Let's Talk About Sex, and it is on Saturday, September 30th from 2 to 6, as well as October 7th, another Saturday from 2 to 6 p.m., uh, and we are holding at Luma. Where's Luma, Valerie? Tell us about Luma. <laughs> L- Oh, yeah, and it's both days there, too. So you sign, when you sign up, you're coming to both of them. It's not just one. It's, um, you know, four hours one day and four hours another day. It's a full eight-hour deal. So Luma. Luma is downtown Santa Cruz. We're uh, across from the Art Center in Santa Cruz on Center Street at Center and Union, which I think is a very auspicious um, mm, crossroads, <laughs> and, um, and near the library. 
and it, the address is 1010 Center, and our website is www.lumayoga.com. And that's where people can find out more information about the workshop, sign up for the workshop as well. Um, yeah, it's, it's from the date that this is going on the air, it's going to be in a couple weeks. Uh, if you listen to this in three years, this was 2017, everyone. So, <laughs> um, but this is something that we hope to continue offering, uh, making it a regular thing if we do it, you know, two to three times a year. Um, we're hoping to continue offering this to the community and we're really, really excited to watch as this grows. So if you, um, have any questions or anything that comes up that you need to know about the workshop, you can reach out to uh, Valerie's people at Luma. Uh, is there an email address too? No? Info at lumayoga.com. Woohoo! Or you can always email me um, and a- as well as April at shamelesssexpodcast at gmail.com. And you know where to find us at shamelesssex.com uh, for all of our podcast updates as well as on iTunes. Ooh, Gina has something to say. Gina. Super fast. Yes. I just wanted to say in closing, Amy um, and Valerie, let, let, we're obviously the, like, adults have to lead the way in some of these conversations. And I was just sharing resources for parents and having conversations with young people. And of course, it's our job as stewards of our children to be there. We are their first sexuality educators. Whether or not we want that, uh, we want to wear that hat as parents. Uh, Those of you that already have children, let me just tell you, if you didn't already know, it's true. You are their first sexuality (laughs) educator, whether or not you like it. And so what what you say as well as what you don't say is um, always going to be really important in educating them. But the flip side of that is, and I just want to kind of put a plug out here from my own two sons who have been fabulous teachers of my own, even though they may not realize that they're teaching me every day. The young people in our lives really do teach us a lot. And I've learned a lot just from working with young people and listening to them, like really listening. Like I can talk for days about sex and sexuality and yada, yada, yada. And I try to also remind myself to just shut my mouth and listen when I'm talking with young people and hear their experience, like really hear it. And so um, in that way, you really just start to build that um, open communication with your children and really understand where they're coming from because they are living in a really different world than a lot of us grew up in. And I just want to put a plug out for the importance of not only talking and teaching as parents and educators, but listening like really openly to what they have to, to teach us and um, to say um, because that's a really important part of the process. That was a good closing statement. <laughs> Do you have anything else you want to close with here, Valerie? No, you, yeah. thank you for having me here. Yeah, thanks for coming. You two are wonderful. And um, yeah, so Gina's closing statement. If you want to know more, feel free to reach out to us. And um, if you're feeling like this workshop is for you, you know where to find us. You just got all the plugs and... Um, we will be here in this workshop to assist you on the way in those really scary conversations because we realize that they're kind of terrifying and you don't have to do it alone. And thank you everyone for tuning in. April will be back next week. I know you miss her oh so dearly because as I say, she's me on eight cups of coffee, so she's extra entertaining. Um, but with that, um, I will leave you with our usual see you next Tuesday and Ciao for now. Like what you hear? Well, then head on over to shamelesssex.com for more podcasts and information on our latest happenings.